Who is Jesus? Uh, Today we look at Matthew 1 and 2, Luke 1 and 2, Mark 1, 1, and John 1, 1 to 18. So that's our text for today. If we were to just sit down and read it all, we'd probably do well. Uh, But I'm going to try to summarize all that and, and got to look at the content, look at some of the big ideas of that, and then take away a couple primary applications from that. So that's where we're headed. It is hard for us living in New York City to put ourselves into the sandals, into the setting, into the circumstances that Jesus was placed into as a child. He was raised most of his early years, um, though he goes, as we'll see, from uh, all the way from Jerusalem, Bethlehem, uh, Nazareth, down to Egypt, Nazareth. Um, but most of his years in a little town called Nazareth, right? We don't understand what that would look like. And, I, and I, I'd like to give us just a moment to help us understand what this would be like. Nazareth was a small agricultural town. Um, you can imagine a town of 500 people or less. Imagine living in a small town of five. Like your building probably has about 500 people in it. Uh, but imagine your whole town that you grow up in is 500 people. Your dad's a carpenter, but you know just about everyone in that town. This is Jesus' little hometown of Nazareth. Um, here it is on a, on a map. I don't know if that's clear enough to see. This would be uh, right between this, the Mediterranean Sea and the Sea of Galilee. All right, about 20 miles from the Mediterranean Sea and 15 miles from the Sea of Galilee, we have this tiny little town called Nazareth. Um, Podunk, middle of nowhere. It has no prominence religiously. It has no prominence like, like as far as roads. It's, it's not too far from this main road, uh, but as far as like strategically, militarily, it's just no one knows about this town. This is town well known for being unknown. That is Nazareth. And this is where Jesus grew up. It's significant in its insignificance. Not only that, but it's kind of in the sticks. Like what you think of hillbilly, like that context, that's what they thought of the whole region of Galilee. This is where Jesus grew up. Look at the familial scene here. Um, It's a special family uh, because it's a big family. I don't know if you knew this. Well, let me just throw this out here as a quiz, okay? I have a, we're going to give away a Toyota Prius on this one. How many can, can guess how many kiddos, the total number of family uh, as at least, at least how many in Mary and Joseph's family by the time Jesus was 25? Somebody throw out a number. Eight? Close. Let's see. Mary and Joseph, six children, is eight. All right, so we have a Toyota Prius. At least eight. Um, Two girls, at least. Mostly boys. And then Mary and Joseph. Five boys and at least two girls. That's nine. I'm sorry. Don't get a Prius. Uh, Nine. 
Uh, but this is a this is a like if you see the back of their SUV or their minivan, you see you see nine stick figures, right? And maybe a dog, a cat, a fish. I don't know what else is in there. Um, this is a big family. This is noisy. This is a lot of action. This is a lot a lot of food needed. But you know what? This the town itself led itself to more blue collar work, but but not wealthy blue collar work. Like like just just on the lower end. I don't even know you could say middle class. Mary and Joseph um, having a hard time putting food on the table. This is where he grew up. Uh, I, I really like this. I, this is this is helpful to me. Things like this. Um, this would be a normal home for that time period. This home would be like 10 feet by 20 feet at the most. So our office size, for those of you who have been at our office, like that or smaller. All those kids. All right? So you could, you could picture Jesus often sleeping up here on nice days. Uh, sleeping under the stars. Um, this is inside. You can see Joseph with his boys cutting these beams, uh, helping... Uh, build this house. Um, this is where Jesus grew up. And it is, it is not flashy. And so you understand why people kept saying, what, like, Nazareth? Are you kidding? Where in the world is that? What? You're saying the Messiah is from Nazareth? Quick aside, I don't know if I'll get to it, but what does Nazareth mean? It means branch, which is awesome. A small branch. Right? You, you wouldn't think anything of that small branch, but that branch is prophesied to be the king of kings. The branch coming out of David's line. It's a normal family. It's a small family. It's, it's small as far as uh, the world, the way to the world, but big in Nazareth. We find, find them here traveling. I'd like to just travel with them for a little bit here um, on a family vacation. They would have Often, at least yearly, uh, but probably more than a year, every every year, take three days and take this little route all the way down to Jerusalem, right? And and you know that route that goes from Jericho to Jerusalem is dangerous. But any travel in that day was dangerous. Travel was very dangerous. People wouldn't travel often because. Bandits saw that as a pride robber. You know, this is great. Here's somebody by himself, or here's two people. We can jump them and take everything they have because they have to carry stuff with them to sustain their life. There's, there's not a whole lot of banks and hotels around, right? And so what they would do is travel in groups. And so we see Jesus is nine, probably connecting with other cousins at the Sea of Galilee, other families up here, and them all coming, maybe even a caravan of 100 people. Every Passover, this is the highlight of their year. They get a lamb on the way, perhaps on the way. Down here is Bethlehem. Not on the way, Bethlehem. But, but uh, uh, as an aside, this is why we think probably Jesus was born around Passover season, not around December twenty. Because there were shepherds out there. Um, because they're raising sheep to sell for the Passover. Um, so here they are in this group of 100 people every year. But this is a special year. This is a special year uh, in Jesus' day. In Jesus' life. Because he's 12. Uh, 
turning 12, becoming a man. Um, He will now take on himself the full responsibility of adulthood. No such thing as teenager in that day. All right, for the next eight years, you go to high school, you go to college, and you try to, no, you're a man now. You got to, you got to start uh, making your own living. This is where, this is their culture. From age five to ten, little boys would go to a little uh, one house in Nazareth called the House of the Book where they would be taught Torah, probably memorize most of the Torah during that time, from ages five to ten. But age 12 was special. So he's taking this family trip and he's 12. This is a special time now. This is like, this is like Disney World, but sacred. Um, save up all year to do this for this big family. And, and here they are going together, singing all the way. There's actually a set of, of psalms that are set aside to sing as you travel. And so they're singing these. It takes three days, 80 miles. Three days, this family's camping out on the hillside, enjoying cousins, running around in the brook in the Jordan. Ah, I wish I could go. That would be so fun, right? We'll have to do that one day as a church. And they're going to the big city. This is where they're headed. And so put yourself in Jesus' shoes. 500 people, right? Synagogue, fewer people. And now you're going every year to Jerusalem. According to different accounts, Jerusalem would grow from 40,000 to 250,000 people at Passover. Josephus, a historian at that time, says it would grow to be 2 million people. Just overwhelmed with people everywhere. And so you read of them, not just uh, here, but camping out all around Jerusalem um, as... uh, uh, as they, they partake of the Passover together. And, and, of course, the temple would be the central part of that, uh, where they have teaching and so forth. But all over Jerusalem is just packed with people. And, and so, of course, Jesus is coming and going. He's, he's independent, but like that was special, but every 12-year-old had their subway card and was independent and on their own, running around the streets. Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. When he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, right, so they're, they're done. They've had the festivities, celebrated Passover. After spending full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. He is an adult now. His parents didn't even know about it. Supposed him to be in the caravan, right, these folks. They go a whole day's journey, right? So they, they start headed back. And they're not even, Jesus is not even there. When a day's journey, they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. Wait a second, we don't know where he is. Where is he? They returned to Jerusalem looking for him. A day back. And then probably a day hunting. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers. Can you see that? Now, now I, I realize it's gone you know, where it's not as, as packed as Passover. But here are the teachers of Israel gathering around this 12-year-old boy. Listening to them, asking them questions, and then read verse 47. And all who were, heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. 
to their questions. When they saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, and this is actually in, in a state in a way that's it's, uh, sunny or, or uh, like uh, tender. It's not reproof. It's tender. Why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you for a whole day. Right? I can't imagine losing Asher in Times Square. This is it. Times Square. Christmas, New Year's. That's the kind of crowd we're talking about. Where are you, son? And he said, why is it that you're looking for me? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? This is special. Right now, they all have God as their father, but there is a special way that he says, my father's house. And here we have the early expression of Jesus knowing that he is the son of God as a 12-year-old boy. Now, he didn't do a whole lot there, right? I mean, he didn't. He, it's not like he's doing miracles all over and you know, completing his math test by miraculous. That's not what picture we get. right? Um, we, we just find someone who's keenly aware that he is the son of God. And this is developing in his heart and mind. They didn't understand the statement which he made to them. He went down with them and came to Nazareth. And he continued in subjection to his parents. It's, it's really fascinating, really fascinating. And this is going to come up in just a minute toward the end. But this is a, a day in the life or a few days of the life in Jesus uh, with his family. Um, and this is all we see. So we give a little bit of time of that to help us understand what's going on because this is all we know. Look at this. I mean, I don't know if I have this. Um, let me jump over here. I'm just going to skip that. Um, this is, this is all we have. Can I do that? Okay. Yeah, you can see it here. Uh, five BC is when Jesus is born. We'll get to this in just a second. 26 AD is his baptism. All that we have from seven to eight here at the temple to 26 is zip. Nothing do we know about Jesus from that time period. All that we know are just a few scenes from 5 B.C. to 78 A.D., and that 78 A.D. is the one I just described to you when he's 12. Isn't that fascinating? I think there's a reason for that, of course. Let's take just a minute to back up and overview the content of his birth and childhood, okay? And so we're going to look at the content very quickly. There's just a whole lot of, of uh, notes, and so we're going to move pretty quickly, and it will help you understand this. Is what we're going to try to do each week is understand the content. So really get through the life of Jesus from the Gospels in just these few weeks that we have together. So we're going to overview the content and then look at some of these big ideas that I think the, the Holy Spirit is really keying in on and then have a practical application to us today. So let's look at the content itself. Right? Look at the scenes that are chosen. You have that in a little um, in front of you there in your notes a little table, Matthew chooses from the birth, genealogy, prophetic dream of an angel to Joseph, and the genealogy that he chooses is Joseph, the stepfather, the authoritative head of the house, genealogy as well. And then just the birth and the name. Childhood, a fascinating scene, 
probably a year later, where these magi from the east come to worship him. And then he ends with them moving all the way to Egypt. Mark, he just barely states it. In fact, if you have your Bible, just look over there at Mark chapter 1, verse 1. And, and this is all, like we'll read the Christmas story, all of it, according to the Gospel of Mark. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's it. And then he jumps right into John the Baptist. That's all that Mark includes. But look at Luke. I mean, Luke shares a whole lot, doesn't he? Luke is really where we get a lot of the scenes of Jesus' birth. Matthew looks at it through the eyes of Joseph briefly. Um, Luke really went back and, and interviewed a lot of people to find out what actually happened. Of course, the Holy Spirit used that. But he gives this preamble where he states he's going to do that. Then he starts with the birth of John the Baptist. Supernatural birth of John the Baptist. And he chooses to record Gabriel's appearance to Mary. Where Matthew chooses to record Gabriel, uh, the, the angel of the Lord's appearance to Joseph in a dream. Mary gets it. Uh, it, it appears that he actually uh, comes to her in her room. Whereas Joseph is in a dream. Mary's visit to Elizabeth, Mary's prayer of praise, birth and dedication of John the Baptist, Zacharias' prophecy, Joseph and Mary travel to Bethlehem. Finally, we're getting into Luke chapter 2. Jesus is born in a stable. Angels appear to shepherds and are told to visit. Jesus' circumcision and dedication at the temple. And then you have these two prophecies, prophecy of Simeon, prophecy of Anna, all of that about the birth of Jesus. So if you want to know about the birth of Jesus from an original source, you go to Luke. And then his childhood, we have a little bit more than Matthew. Matthew, this is, I would say, when Jesus is a baby. And then this would be when he's 12 years old, this return to Nazareth to grow. John, very similar to Mark. Um, John just sh shares the preexistence of Jesus as the word as the creator, as God, as light, as life of the world, right? So, so John's all about the theology of Jesus' incarnation. Okay, so let's look at these, and you can just fill out the dates there. It's interesting, it was around 550, I can't remember the guy's name, Docetus or some, some kind of Roman name, uh, actually just went back and tried to figure the dating of when Jesus was born according to Roman um, calendar. And he went back and he did pretty good. And what happened is from then on, we just, Rome just said, okay, this is when the world starts <laughs> at zero, at Jesus' birth. But he was five years off-ish, right, four to six. We're not sure completely, but most, most scholars will say around five before Christ is when Christ was born, uh, five B.C., the visit of the Magi would be around 4 B.C. Move to Egypt around then, right right after that. And then the move back to Nazareth two years later, uh, 2 B.C. So we find Jesus there from 2 to 7 and 8, all the way to Nazareth. And then, then all of a sudden, next Sunday, we'll see he's on the scene already as uh, introduced by John the Baptizer. Okay. 
Just another quick thought here. Uh, I think the, the focus do, does change based on author. Um, so here is the birth, 5 BC. But, but again, look at this huge gap. Um, this is something we're curious about, but something the Lord doesn't want to spend too much time worrying about. Um, because he would have told us more if we were to tell, learn more. Um, okay, so uh, focus changes based on author. Uh, and just Matthew, all about Jesus as kings, writing the Jewish people. So he's going to really give a lot of time to the prophecies, as you'll see. Uh, showing that this one, Jesus, is the Messiah. And that's fascinating. Matthew, Mark, like we say, Jesus is the authoritative servant. He does talk a lot about Jesus being servant, but also a lot about him being authoritative. I think Mark is just a young guy scribbling this down as fast as he can. Um, and he does focus on Jesus' authority. Halfway through the Gospel of Mark really focuses on Jesus' death after chapter 9. But, um, you know, he, he's not really interested in all that. He's just wanted to tell you the story of the gospel. Uh, John's the theology. But I love Luke because Luke goes and wants, really shows, wants to tell the story, I think. And we say, well, the, the Son of Man and John, the Son of God, I recognize that. People will say that. But I honestly think Luke is just wanting to tell us the story. So he's going to go and talk to Mary. And, and you can tell by reading Luke 1 and 2, he talked to Mary. And Mary told him about visiting Elizabeth. And Mary told him about treasuring that in her heart. Because she took a picture with her eyes and she treasured it in his heart. And she told it to Luke. Uh, so Luke is special. Luke does that throughout his whole gospel. Um, okay. Well, let's look at the big ideas. I think this is fascinating. The big ideas of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But specifically Matthew and Luke. Because they're the ones that really give us the scenes uh, from this uh, from, from the gospel records. First big idea uh, that we have to come away with is this is impossible. How is this going to happen? How is it going to happen that all of these prophecies about this Messiah will come true? Number one, the Messiah will be born from a virgin. Order, automatically already impossible. Isaiah 7.14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. A virgin will be with child and bear a son. She will call his name Emmanuel. Right. This can't happen. Already God is saying this is going to be miraculous. This is actually going to be impossible. Joseph, I can't, you know, just put yourself in his setting as Mary comes to him. Mary's told beforehand, but then she becomes pregnant and, and she starts to understand that she's pregnant before she comes and tells Joseph. And that's when Joseph needs to be told by the angel don't divorce her. All right, so they, they, are, they are a spouse. They're not yet married. But they are legally, contractually obligated to be married. And so he's thinking, well, do I divorce her? What do I do? She's, here she's pregnant. And she says that she's never been with a man. But that just doesn't happen. Can you, can you imagine Mary coming to Joseph? Much older than her. All right, there's a, there's a village of 500 people. They, they're, they're from there. They've probably met there. Not eHarmony. Um, they met there, and, and all of a sudden, she's expecting. He's known her her whole life. Mary. All right, they travel down to Jerusalem back and forth every year. She's, he's just wondering, what is this? And God says, no, this is a sign. 
Read your Bible, Joseph. A virgin will have a child. And that's a sign. That has never happened before and will never happen again because God stepped in. This one too, the Messiah will have a forerunner as a prophet to share who he is. This, see, this is, this is just showing us God is involved here. This is impossible without God. God has stepped in because in this case, Jesus can't control this. He's a baby. His parents are just understanding this, but they can't even really control this. I love this scene from Luke. As, as Luke, I'm sorry, as Mary comes to see Elizabeth and they both are expecting what happens in, in Elizabeth's womb when, when Mary comes with Jesus. Leaps. So John the Baptist, the forerunner of Messiah, is already doing his task in the womb. That's the one! Kicks and jumps! And, and Elizabeth worships the baby in Mary's stomach. Womb. To be technically accurate here. That's fascinating. This is saying this is special. This is impossible. But this was, this was foretold in Malachi 3.1. Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. Well, how does that happen if Jesus, right? I mean, he's Jerusalem sometimes, but he's Nazareth. How does this happen? Well, God is going to cause a decree to be handed out that everyone has to obey. The governments are in God's hands and even unusually uh, aggravating decrees that a government might make. It's in God's hands. It totally threw away their life for years. For two years, it threw away their life, this decree, as they had to move to Bethlehem. I mean, they're making it work in Nazareth. Right? Joseph's got some clients. They have the new baby, and they got to go Bethlehem. But then you have Nazareth, you have Bethlehem, I'm sorry. Uh, and then you have Egypt, Hosea 11.1. 1. Out of Egypt I've called my son. How is he going to be son of David from the house of bread, Bethlehem, from Egypt, and Jesus is from Nazareth? How is all that going to happen? It's impossible unless God steps in and starts working by moving kings, by moving rulers. That's how that's going to happen. So this is impossible. Secondly, this is unbelievable. Why did this happen this way? I think just the lesson of the ladies. This is, this is totally unusual for historians that day that Luke is finding and, and recording and God is using the praises of, of the women. And this is an entirely, uh, uh, right, not masculine culture, but, but like the, the headship is definitely the male, right? And, and God set up the family that way. We recognize that. But he's going to do something unusual. He's going to ask Mary to give praise, and that praise is going to be recorded in such a way that we will read it thousands of years later. Read Luke 1 and 2. This is just what's happening, and this is unusual, because God does things not the way you expect. The shepherds. We would not expect these smelly shepherds to come and witness this baby's birth. Unless the Lamb of God was being born. The son of David who got his teeth cut as a shepherd. 
Maybe then we would expect it. But this was the low of the low as far as job careers, right? The teens, the 12-year-olds, whatever, as they're choosing their career, they're not choosing shepherds. That's cold. That's dirty. That's smelly. The lesson of the land, right? Being from Nazareth, being from the, the hill country. The Messiah's got to know the Torah. He's got to study under Gamaliel. He's got to be the, the chief ruler of the day. This, right, Beverly Hillbillies? Right? What, what, who is Jed? What's Jed going to do? Right? This is the mindset of their religious leaders. God does things totally unexpectedly. It's supernatural, but it's unexpected. The birthplace. I think this is the clincher, right? That, that God chose. We know that he is moving Herod's heart to fulfill scripture. He is making decrees to fulfill scripture. God is moving heaven and earth to fulfill scripture. And he chooses to have his son born in a barn. Right? In a makeshift barn. And this little baby to be dropped from Mary, and placed in a feeding trough. Right? You think that being born in a garage may be dirty, or born in a taxi, or a city street. This is, this is just a nightmare. <laughs> and yet that's what God chose, because he does things so unexpectedly. But then lastly there, this is special. The Lord is doing something special, because of all of those things, he is also bringing the wise men, the magi of the day. And they're going to take a year to travel and worship this baby. That's another thing God's going to do. As those shepherds are on the hillside, and, and they're going to come, but they're going to come, why? Because the, the heaven's going to open, and angels are going to proclaim peace on earth, goodwill to men. There's born the Savior of the world. So it's not just unusual and small. It's, it's big. What God is doing is saying, I'm opening heaven and I'm coming to earth in a way that you understand, no matter where you're from. That you can identify as the poorest of poor or the richest of rich. The Magi and the shepherds. The Mary and the Joseph. The priest. Zechariah. Anna and Simeon, the widow, this is what God's doing. He's giving us all, all of us can see that this story is from us. The Lord is doing something very special. And that's kind of where our lesson goes as we close here. This is the way God does these things. Um, God does the impossible in our lives. This is one of the big messages for us from this birth. Nothing is too hard for God. As you read through this, you recognize that God is the unseen hand doing the impossible. Yes, the Holy Spirit with the virgin birth, but so many other cases of God's almighty hand. When things are looking impossible, God steps in. When Elizabeth is looking at the barren womb after 80 years, if I remember correctly, God steps in and allows her to give birth to 
John the Baptist. Because nothing is impossible with God. And so each of these stories are imprinted with God's almighty hand. The biggest of which, and we can't overlook this, is this. You and I are lost in our sin. And and we cannot find our way. We cannot make a ladder that gets to God. God must come down. And so the greatest miracle, the, the most Uh, rabid of enemies is that of death. And it is God's Son uh, coming to earth to die that will kill that enemy for us. And that's exactly what happens as Jesus is born as the Savior of the world. He's giving light, life, hope uh, to a world that is perishing, that is dying, that is hopeless, that is dark. The, The night light brings light to the Son of God and those who sit in darkness will see a great light. And here we are living and basking in the light of God because Jesus has come and done the impossible, done the impossible. And then secondly here, God's ways are not always what we expect, but they are always best. We see this. Um, It's it's difficult to think about all that they had to go through, right? Why, Why Bethlehem, God? No doubt Joseph is praying as he's walking, uh, moving this... Nine-month expectant Mary to Bethlehem. No place to go. Why? King of the universe, am I doing this? Why? Why now? Why now? God's way is best. Maybe your life has been unusually disturbed this week or this year, and you may be finding yourself praying the same thing as Joseph, as Mary, as Elizabeth, as Each of these characters, why this time, God? Why? We just have to get our eyes up to Christ and say, I don't know everything that's going on, but you know best. You know best. Perhaps we would find that most of all in that 12-year-old boy as he finds himself in that temple. Maybe, we don't know when this is dawning upon him, but, but very early, Dawning upon him that in that temple he is going to have to give up his life. He's going to have to be beaten. And he's going to cry just on the hillside, let this cup pass from me. Isn't there any other way? And God the Father is going to say, my plan is always best. Even the cross at times is is best. But when you're under the weight of the cross, we don't get that. We don't understand that. And so I think one primary theme and kind of the theme we can take away for us today is that God's ways are not always expected, but they are always planned by him and are always best. So we trust him. We trust him in the, in the way of the cross. We trust him in the way of uncomfort, discomfort. Trust him that his way is best. Amy Carmichael, love this little story. When she was a little girl, she wanted... Blue eyes, you may know this story. And, and her mom taught her that God answers your prayers. So one night she prays, Lord, give me blue eyes. Give me blue eyes. I didn't like these brown eyes. Gets up in the morning, runs to the mirror. And what does she see? Blue eyes. No. 
ugly brown eyes. No, in her eye. And she's crying to her mom. I thought you said God would answer my prayer. And God says, well, her mom says, well, sometimes God's answer is no, because he knows best. And you all know that Amy spent 55 years rescuing orphans out of uh, temples, Hindu temples, that would take little girls and make them prostitutes. And she would have to disguise herself. She would color her skin, she would dress as a Hindu, and she would not be able to cover her blue eyes. God knew what was best, even in the prayer of a little child. And I think of Jesus as a child praying, trusting completely the Father's will. Let's all now with him, come to him, trusting him with all our cares. Heads bowed and eyes closed. What is it on your heart? He, he, he is, listen, he's controlling the decrees of all the kings around you. I just heard our mayor saying COVID's lighting up. I was, I was so happy to hear that. But don't be stressed out about different decrees. Um, this shouldn't stress us. We should rest in the Lord. Maybe you have an overbearing boss that gives some serious decrees that you're like, that is insane. Let's rest in the Lord. Uh, he's, he's, his authority goes above your parents, goes above your boss, goes above your mayor, your governor, your, your president, goes above the UN, goes above any leader on earth. And every king will bow to him today because he's, he's turning their heart as he wills, but also for eternity. And so let's do that now. If you'd like to pray, all of us should pray right now, but I'll be standing in the back lobby. If there's something on your heart that you'd like to pray about, I'd be happy to pray with you in a moment. Pastor Andrew will close us in prayer um, as we consider this truth of trust in God. God's ways are not always expected. They're always planned by him, though, and are always best.